Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. Hi, I'm Faye. And I'm James. Joining us in today's episode is Edco Sassi from Creators Fund. Universities should be one of the UK's biggest drivers of growth. And to unlock this, Creators Fund is a student-led fund and they have a very active team here in Cambridge. Let's find out more. Ed, welcome to the show. As well as being part of the student investment team for Creator Fund, you're also a researcher at the IFM. That is right. Pleasure to be here, James. Fabulous. You're very active in the whole entrepreneurial scene in the university. You're part of QTech as well, I believe. Yes, I was the president of the society and advisor until last year and still trying to help here and there. So before we jump on to talking about Creator Fund specifically, you'd be a great person just to get a general view of what it's like at the university in terms of entrepreneurial support. Yeah, I must say it is a privilege for me to be part of Cambridge University. The ecosystem here has been really helpful and continue to be. I mean, if you want to get a much better overview, I would recommend uh, the listeners to check out actually one of your podcasts with Andy Neely. I believe it was really not a long time ago. So just to briefly recap what Andy said and what I echo pretty much, there's a few pillars here in the university that we, we want to be uh, aware of. And I personally have been trying to be, you know, to contribute more in the student society aspect. So I do a lot of work with different societies. I, I have like this group chat with, I don't know, I think at least 15 student society presidents where I try to find out what is going on, what sort of concerns are students having in particular to entrepreneurship. And then I try to connect them with different VCs and uh, departments, accelerators, co-working spaces. And then we, we try to organize events and, and connect people regularly. So I think that has been a, a fabulous work and opportunity. Thank goodness for people like you, Ed, that do that connecting of people and keep the momentum going. So I'd like to move us on and talk about creator funds. So I understand it's about targeting researchers and innovators inside some of the UK's top universities. Is that correct? Yes. So a bit about creator fund. We are a student-run VC. I mean, we target every university. It doesn't have to be, you know, we don't look at whether it's a top or traditionally defined as a non-top university. Any university for us is within our investment. We believe that universities are best positioned to produce really high quality research that could be spin out into companies. I mean, we've seen a lot of this. I mean, I'm just highlighting one, for example, in the States, just because we were inspired by a similar VC in the States. Yes, I am particularly in charge of Creator Funds operations within Cambridge. We've been around for more than three years here and have been working with a lot of players in the city. That's great. Um, and, and part of the preparation for this interview, I was just reading a blog post from your CEO, Jamie McFarlane, where he was kind of highlighting the differences between universities when it comes to their support for spin-out businesses. There, it, there seems to be quite a big difference in the equity that various universities take in, in startup businesses that they're spinning out. Obviously, different levels of bureaucracy as well. He kind of quoted Cambridge as really a, as like the exemplar of you know, what the best looks like in, in the UK. Does that mirror your experience of Cambridge? Yes, I agree. So uh, Jamie's a good friend and we have continuous discussions about what is going on uh, across the UK. I, I mean, speaking of Cambridge, which I personally have been a part of, I can 
testify that yes, um, working with Cambridge has been rather one of our greatest pleasure. We work really closely with Cambridge Enterprise. In fact, we've had all, more than 10 investment by now in Cambridge, and a lot of them are done in partnership with Cambridge Seed Funds. And the term has been really reasonable. The founders like it. And we think that the sort of arrangement that we could do together with Cambridge as well as other VCs in the city is favorable to incentivize you know, startup founders to take this further into the future. Now, what we've been trying to do is to discuss with other universities as well what models work, what does not work. Personally, I believe Cambridge is positioned to be a really good supporter and backer of, of companies, which is why we see almost 50% of our portfolio coming out of Cambridge, which uh, is a big testament to the amount of potential that this city has. So that's really interesting. You say there that you work with Cambridge Enterprise in Cambridge, obviously. Um, how does it work with other tech transfer offices in other universities across the UK? Yeah, sure. I mean, a bit of disclaimer. So my understanding comes mostly from Cambridge because I, I spend most of my time here. But from our observation, if it is especially a spin-out company from, from universities, we want to work with the tech transfer office. The motivation is simple. We need to make sure that the IPs are owned by the right people that should have owned it. With that regard, if we sort of don't get that uh, agreement from the very beginning, then it would make things messier for future VCs, especially, you know, as the companies go global, there will be a lot of VCs from different regions who might not be too familiar with uh, the way local transfer offices work. As a pre-seed and seed company, our job is to make sure that these IPs are owned by the right people. And therefore, we will work with anyone that is necessary to make sure that we get that information out. Do you see like um, the opportunity to influence and to, and to change the policies of other universities? Or do you think it's going to take time? One of the mistakes that we see is, is to make a blanket statement that every university is the same and then therefore everyone has to use the same strategy. I think the thing that we're doing here is we try to be humble and we are. We, we try to understand what are the different universities' models and the way they get their revenues and the way the ecosystem has been working, which is why we have students across more than uh, 30 universities in the UK. And our goal really is to have dialogues with people who are running the university and accelerators, etc., to understand why are things done in that way. I don't think it makes sense to sort of come up with a blanket statement that everyone has to do what Cambridge does, because by no means our model is the best. Uh, I've never said that this is the best that everyone should adopt. It works for us in Cambridge. We want to find out what works in other cities, which is why we have this conversation. I know maybe that does not give a straightforward answer, but, but the reality is it's really difficult to come up with one single policy, although we do try to share our perspective from um, entrepreneurs as well as you know VCs that later on would have to support uh, these companies uh, in order to move forward. What are the, the things that they prefer? What sort of term sheets that they like? In the end, it's up to universities as well as the people who are going to, you know, spin out the company, what works best for them. And you are a startup yourself in, in a way, aren't you? So I think the one size fits all. It, it doesn't make sense that that would work. And especially because universities, they kind of specialize in different things. Different locations have strengths in different industries. I think it makes sense to have a bit more of a modular approach than a totally rigid approach. If you are a startup looking to grow in Cambridge, the Bradfield Centre offers a range of flexible membership packages 
which put you in control of your office and homeworking mix. There's a vibrant, collaborative atmosphere, on-site cafe, plenty of green outside space and regular member social events. We also offer a range of high-quality meeting spaces for hire and for tech event organisers, our auditorium, lakeside pavilion and atrium spaces are perfect to bring your communities together for in-person and hybrid events. For more information, visit bradfieldcentre.com or call 01223 919600. So if we can talk a little bit about these 11 Cambridge companies that are in your portfolio. So I would I would like to suggest that between James and myself, we know an awful lot of the tech startups in the scene. But there are a few of them that I haven't heard of or have been on the podcast. I, well, yeah, they, they certainly have. We know. Well, we know some from Tech Nation, from the Impulse program, you know, Trinity yes. Bradford. You know, we we do know a few of them, but there are some that I haven't come across. So could you tell us a little bit about some of the companies that are on the portfolio? Have they got anything in common? Yeah, and I have to say Trinity Bradfield has been a, a great partner. I mean, if you look at our companies, ARX Photonics, which has just relabeled themselves, as well as Lokai. I mean, back then he came in uh, not with that name yet. It was just Jack Davis submitting his proposal, and he also won the award. So we love Trinity Bradfield, and that's always our funders. Now, if I could give a bit of overview about sort of demography and distribution of people that we support in Cambridge, you see that there's overall a big division into you know deep tech and, and life science deals overall. I, I'm being super high level here because deep tech constitutes a, a lot of different factors. If we look at where does uh, the talent and founders come from, you could see there's a concentration of companies founded by academics. You see this in, in Signal Lloyd, for example, founder is a professor in the Department of Engineering. You also see a, you know, a set of companies that are founded by students. Uh, we have PhD students. If, if you look at Tenix, for example, it's founded by a PhD student. We even support uh, companies that are founded by master students who spent just a year here. Marco is a brilliant example, an ex-AWS founder who came on and then thought he wanted to start a company while exploring things during his master. And then we back him and he, Marco has been one of our greatest neural search uh, portfolio in our company. You also see ARX is a mixture of PhD and academics. Lokai as well is an example from master student. We've also backed a few undergrad companies, Nomad, for example, a few years ago when we first just started. So we try to be diverse in our approach. We look at every single opportunity that comes to us and then we, we you know, discuss and think of what makes sense, what is the best combination of, of deep tech, you know, deep technical knowledge in a particular field and commercial talent as well. For the students and researchers listening, that might be thinking about maybe reaching out. What are the kind of things that you do look for? Is it the team? Is it the potential of the idea? Is it you know all of those things? What are the criteria that you assess against? Yeah, I think the answer to that would be really related to one of our core expertise, which is we are run by lots of uh, PhD students as well. So we love technology. That would be the first question that we do in our due diligence. So if you've ever been in a meeting with creative fund people, or if you are about to, you will expect lots of technical questions, not because we are trying to find out what you're building and, uh, you know, don't be afraid, we have no intention to replicate, nor can we do it. The only thing is that uh, our, our motives, we get really excited by technical developments. If you could show that you had the frontier of a particular technical research field, we are 
bold enough, we are capable to understand what you are building, that would form the main thesis of our due diligence memo. And if you ever get a chance to read our DD, yes, basically a lot of the conviction comes from our ability to first understand and believe in what you are building. And then, you know, the commercial part, of course, we also look into your strategy go to market, although we are aware that at this stage, because we focus mostly on pre-seed up to seed, your go-to-market strategy could change, build our conviction mostly on, on you as a person, as well as your capability. And that's why our LPs uh, invested on us as well. When we, I mean, uh, you, you've mentioned before that we are operating almost like a startup as well, because we, we just started and we only launched our second fund recently. That's what we told our LPs. Yeah? We have deep technical expertise. So a lot of the conviction that we will share in our memo to them lies on this technical ability to understand things. And what level are you looking at in terms of investment? We have different funds at the moment. I mean, we've just finished uh, deploying our SEIS fund, which is about maximum 250K of check. But now we have an ongoing fund that could uh, invest more than 500K in that uh, sort of range. It's an EIS fund. So we have deployed almost half of the fund and we still have about one to two years to continue deploying. So we are comfortable writing a bigger check these days. You and your team are obviously scouting across the universities to find potential investments. Does it work in both directions though? Do you welcome people reaching out and making contact with you as well? Yes. So we are very open to anyone reaching out, uh, reaching out to us, whether you have a mature idea or it's it's just something rough we welcome conversation literally with anyone you could reach out to us through linkedin or through our email in our website uh, thecreatorfund.com or you could even find us most likely roaming around you know in your nearest canteens or, or dining halls <laughs> i mean you'll be surprised but this is how we've gotten some of our deals that we we dine and we heard about what people are talking about in formals and then Ah, oh, we thought it's really interesting. Why don't we track the conversation and see what it could lead us to? I mean, in the end, even if it doesn't lead us to anything, we are all you know people who are geeks and, and we love everything technical or non-technical as well. We just love chatting, basically. Well, I think that's what I really like about your model is obviously it's built by students for students and it's it's very grassroots in that nature that you guys are plugged into what's happening at the ground level. You are going to the meetups, you are going to the pitching competitions, you know. You're very much plugged in and you should get, you know, an advantage in that in terms of seeing stuff much earlier than maybe more traditional investors. Yeah, yeah. And we don't we don't just take, we also give back to the communities. I mean, if you look at Marco, we, we sort of knew them from this matchmaking event that we organized last year. We threw an event at Sarwin College. We had, I think, about 50 people turning up and we simply connect them with each other. Some of them pitch their ideas. Some of them just want to find out what things are going on. Simply arrange an event. We bought drinks and prepared everything and we let people connect. One of them became our portfolio company, but a lot of them did not. And that's completely fine. The idea is we, we just want people to meet each other because as a student, I, I knew the difficulty, especially coming out of the pandemic, how difficult was it to connect with people in person, which I think is a much, much better experience than uh, doing things simply online. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to get uh, some events organized at the Bradfield for you as well. Yes, yes. I believe Adam has, has reached out to you as well. Adam is uh, an analyst from our fund and we are organizing a matchmaking event uh, next month. So... 
if anyone is keen, uh, we'll send out an invitation later on. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to come onto the show and, and, and run us through uh, Creators Fund. It's really interesting and uh, looking forward to tracking the success of your portfolio companies. Yes, and it's great to have a chat with you both. And now for this week's news, a hearty mix of the big global companies and the innovative startups all brought to you by Business Weekly, plus some dates for your diary. Arm in Cambridge and Intel Foundry Services in California have combined resources in a stunning, some will say shock, move that will enable chip designers to build low-power compute system on chips on the Intel 18A process. The collaboration will initially focus on mobile SOC designs but allow for potential design expansion into automotive, Internet of Things, data centre, aerospace and government applications. Still with ARM, earlier this week the Financial Times reported that SoftBank chief Masayoshi-san was ready to sign off on an agreement with Nasdaq to list ARM, setting in motion a blockbuster initial public offering as early as this autumn. The FT said SoftBank and Nasdaq had reached a tentative agreement over ARM's proposed listing. The FT also says the move represents the first formal step in the IPO process as SoftBank continues to work towards submitting filing documents for ARM. Earlier this year, we had Andrea De Luca on the podcast and University of Cambridge spin-out Flusso, a fabulous semiconductor company in Chinese ownership since last August, is back in the news having this week revealed major growth in headcount and workspace. The company has scaled its Cambridge-based technical team and offices as it ramps its new flow and gas sensor R&D activities. The new investment is the first phase of an ambitious growth blueprint by parent company Shanghai Seochi. Cambridge computing company Raspberry Pi has strengthened its ties with world-leading image sensor business Sony Semiconductor Solutions, a subsidiary of Sony Group Corporation. Tokyo-based Sony Semiconductor Solutions has taken an undisclosed minority stake in Raspberry Pi. The move cements their relationship as they jointly provide a development platform for Edge AI devices to the worldwide community of Raspberry Pi users. Raspberry Pi CEO Eben Upton said, Sony Group is a long-standing and valued strategic partner. Our pre-existing relationship encompasses contract manufacturing and the provision of image sensors and other semiconductor products. This transaction will allow us to expand our partnership, bringing Sony Semiconductor Solutions line of AI products to the Raspberry Pi ecosystem and helping our users to build exciting new machine learning applications at the edge. And don't forget to tune in to Evan's podcast with us for more information on Raspberry Pi. A sustainability hub in Cambridge is attracting increasing numbers of startups focusing on clean tech innovation. The Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership has now welcomed Rural Voices, Climate Node and Archipelago to its canopy facility, which is booming despite only having been open for six months. Their specialisms range from standing up for farming communities in global supply chains to using AI to calculate climate risk and to consulting with businesses to accelerate the transition to a sustainable economy. And finally, a quick update on Cambridge Tech Week. You still have a few days left to upload your fringe events, so please do get those submitted quickly on request of the team there. Three fringe events to highlight are firstly Robert Lind, partner at Marks & Clark, will be at the Panton Arms 
on May the 9th, talking about the IP-driven startup and using intellectual property for your exit strategy. So that's one not to miss if you're a startup. The Cambridgeshire Chamber of Commerce is running an event at the Guildhall on Wednesday the 10th, aimed at helping all businesses to understand the changes that technology will have on their businesses. And of course, we have our very own live episode on the podcast, also on the 10th in the evening, where we're going to be talking to some really interesting people about 40 years of tech in Cambridge. So do go to cambridgetechweek.co.uk to find out more and to get tickets for the various fringe and core events. And that's your news for this week. Today's show was produced by Carl Homer of Cambridge TV and supported by our media partner, Business Weekly. The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show. 